Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. All of you are familiar with the phrase, how can something feel so right and yet be so wrong? People often say that when they try to justify their actions, whether that's to eat the next portion of cake or justifying more extreme actions in their sin. How can something feel so right and be so wrong? But I want to introduce you to a new phrase. How can something feel so wrong and be so right? How can something feel so wrong and be so right? I really had that emotion when I was 22 years old and I started to take care of my ailing grandmother for several years. I was clueless at 22 on how to manage medical care and insurance. I was clueless about how to care for her in a variety of ways, not just grocery shopping, but paying bills and showing compassion to a woman who took care of me during parts of my life. During that time, it was very difficult with the sleepless nights when I would fear my grandmother roaming the halls with her dementia and falling down. And one of the most difficult things for me during that time is I felt all alone. It seemed that everyone just disappeared. You know, I was supposed to be starting out in life I was going to seminary, I was going to finish my degree, and I was supposed to launch out in life, but as I was caring for my grandmother, I had these mixed emotions because it felt wrong to care for her. Now, I'm not talking about morally wrong, but it just felt wrong for a 22-year-old guy who's launching in life to be caring for his ailing grandmother in these significant ways. That just felt wrong. But you know what? God told me from his word that it was the right thing to do. Like in God's eyes, it was right no matter how it felt. But what I needed during that time, I at least wanted God to give me some perspective on the trials that I was facing every single day. You ever felt like that? You're just going through stuff and you know you're supposed to be doing it. You know you're doing the right thing, but you're like, God, just give me some perspective. Especially for those who are, who are caregivers, maybe one day bleeds into the next and the sleepless nights, and you're like, what am I doing? God, please give me some perspective. I know it's the right thing, but I need some perspective. A lot of us feel that way when we're dealing with people with issues in our relationships, some of our emotional trauma, or some of our physical trauma. We know that we are to endure and follow Jesus, but we're like, God, at least give me some perspective. And that's what God gave me at 22. And that is the passage we're going to look at today. Because it's this passage that we looked at and just read that I lived in and I kept coming back to over and over and over again. And God was giving me perspective on what was happening in my life and what was happening bigger picture. And that's why this 1 Peter Chapter 1, 3 through 12 was so significant for me in my trials and gave me hope. And I'm hoping it does for you as well. So as we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, which we 
or studying over the fall and started last week. Peter wrote this to encourage the church. The church was going through some difficult trials and they needed some perspective to press on. Last week, we looked at this greeting on talked about scattered aliens and this Trinitarian collaboration. But this morning, we're going to get into the reason why he wrote the letter. I'm going to touch on three things. Here are the three things. Living hope, purposeful trials, privileged experience. Living hope, purposeful trials, privileged experience. And the whole point of this morning is to give you perspective in your own trials and suffering. I need this right now in my life, and you need this as well. So let's start with living hope. Verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What follows from verse 3 all the way to verse 12 is one long sentence. And the emphasis is all to be on the praise and worship of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has caused us to be born again. It is to be praise coming through our hearts and our minds and worship to God for his salvation to us. And the details are going to be this living hope, these purposeful trials, and this privileged experience. I want you to notice in verse 3 again that God in his mercy has caused us, you see it there, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Living hope has its basis in the resurrection of Jesus. Our hope is alive because Christ is alive. Since Christ rose from the dead, then at our deaths, all those who are in him will be with him, and one day we will rise and reign with him forever and ever. We will not face judgment. We will not face wrath and all the pain and the sin and the death we experience will be gone, will be clothed in our resurrection bodies. And this is to be our hope. And we're not making this stuff up because Christ rose again. It is not a baseless hope. It is not an empty hope. It is not a false hope. It is not a vain hope. It is a living hope based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's elaborate. Let's elaborate on your future. You need this, I need this. Look at verse 4 in terms of an inheritance. To an obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You remember when we studied Joshua? They were given all the tribes, the inheritance of the land. But our inheritance is coming. And we are told that our inheritance will not perish, spoil, or fade, and it's reserved in heaven for us. This future inheritance is eternal life in Jesus and all the blessings that go along with it. It cannot perish, it cannot spoil, it cannot fade. The great John Stott, he put it like this. He said, no moss are there to eat the robes of glory. No rust can corrode the crowns of gold and no thieves can break into the city of God. 
all earthly inheritance will perish, spoil, or fade. That's the reality. Everything has an expiration date. My stepmother, I love her. Uh, she lives outside of Nashville with my father. And boy, she loves to keep stuff way beyond their expiration date. <laughs> I'm not talking about a week or two. I'm talking about sometime years. I'm not joking. So we'll sit at the table before we eat. When she's not looking, we're looking at the expiration dates. We're like, this expired last century. I mean, it's some serious stuff. But everything's going to expire. It's all going to fade away. Something that really hit me this last week, I don't know why I'm bringing it up, but I, just, I, I didn't even know the guy. I didn't follow the guy, but, the, but the, a guy out of Oklahoma, T. Boone Pickens, he went, he died this past week, and he was like $500 million. He was a rich guy. I don't know him. Maybe you know him. I don't know his spiritual state, but I just think, wow, so rich. Had so much, but that's, it's all gone. It's all gone as far as he's concerned, but not our eternal inheritance. It's reserved in heaven for you, for sure. It will not perish and it will not spoil. It will not fade. But how can you be so sure you're going to receive this inheritance? Maybe your father is moody, like earthly people can be. You know, people change in their wills, keep changing and changing, depending upon someone else's behavior. Maybe your father in heaven is moody like that. Maybe instead of giving you your eternal inheritance, maybe he's going to give you eternal wrath. How can you be so sure that your father in heaven is going to give you this eternal inheritance in Christ Jesus? How do you know? Look at verse 5. It says we're going to get this eternal inheritance because who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is saying that you're saved from the wrath of God now and you'll be saved from the wrath of God later in the last time. You will be saved and received inheritance because it says right here, you are protected by the power of God through faith. God will persevere your faith so that you will keep on believing and trusting until the very end and receive the inheritance. And this reality is to fuel your hope. I mean, isn't it amazing? I'm just going to say this. I mean, most of you are older than me. <laughs> you are. <laughs> but isn't it amazing that, that you still believe? Think of all the stuff you've been through in life. Crazy stuff, horrendous stuff, and yet you still believe. That's God protecting your faith, shielding you, giving you perseverance. One of my favorite authors is Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb is now in his mid-70s, and he says he's not prepared for what he may soon face. Sometimes he's consumed with visions of dementia, life in a nursing home, chronic pain, lost opportunities to enjoy fatherhood and grandfatherhood, and mostly one of his greatest fears is living without his wife if she dies before him. None of these things have happened to him yet, but he trembles at what he fears is coming. But he knows this. God has not promised to protect him from what he fears but rather to supply the grace needed to persevere 
in his faith and live in hope. And the same goes for you. God has not promised to protect you from what you fear, but rather to supply the grace needed to persevere in your faith and live in hope, a living hope. And so that reality makes me ask the question, if God is going to sustain and persevere your faith and protect you, this is the part you may not like. How does God protect you? How does God persevere your faith? How does God keep you believing? Does he keep you believing by keeping suffering away? Does he keep you believing by, by giving you so many good things to just keep you satisfied in the fold? And this is the part you may not want to understand. So many have rejected this true and clear teaching of the Bible. But one of the ways that God protects you and perseveres your faith is by means of trials. Trials are purposeful. Your trials help protect your faith and ensure your endurance. It's very clear. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6, these purposeful trials. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. We're not sure what these trials entail, but they are various. And the first thing I want you to notice about these various trials is, is they, they last only a little while. You see that? Though now for a little while. Compared to eternity, what you're suffering now is just a blip on the screen. And the second thing I want you to notice is that the trials are necessary. Notice it says at the very end, in the middle there, if necessary. <laughs> you're like, necessary for what? Why are trials necessary? Look at verse 7. Here it is. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? The first part of this is saying that the trials are necessary to prove the legitimacy of your faith. Just like gold is refined in the fire to get out all the impurities, so your life goes through the fire so that your faith is shown to be genuine. People often ask the pastor, why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why did this calamity come upon me? And I don't have all the answers. I don't know. And maybe you will never know on this earth. Maybe you will not know until heaven. But this thing you can know for sure that trials are refining your faith. The various trials have the effect of proving the legitimacy of your faith, and they keep you persevering in your faith. But the second part is something I've never seen in the Bible, and it really, I'm sure it's in other places, but it really has encouraged me. If you notice, at the very end in verse 7, it says, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith, refined in the fire, will result in your commendation. That's talking about you receiving praise, glory, and honor. Of course you give it back to the Lord. You give Him all the praise and glory and honor. But this is saying that your faith, refined in the fire, 
is going to result in you being commended with praise and glory and honor. I needed this when I was caring for my grandmother. I need this now. I need someone to come along and say, I know it may feel wrong what you're doing, but it's right. There is a commendation coming. I need to know this now as I'm caring for my kids and have to make decisions that just sometimes feel terrible. And, and I need God's word to tell me, hang in there. You need that too. Hang in there. You're persevering. It may feel terrible. But you need to know that that praise and glory and honor is going to come to you. And maybe you just need someone to come alongside of you and say, hey, I know you feel terrible right now, but keep pressing on. You're doing the right thing. I needed that. 25 years ago when I was caring for my grandmother. I need that now. I need to know that we're walking in the right direction by the power of God. Now, so far you may be thinking, man, this is some tough stuff. When we talk about trials and suffering and pain, it's, it's tough. So what, what we may be saying is like, okay, so things are terrible now, and then when we get to, to heaven, we're going to be happy. Things are gloomy now, but when we get to heaven, then we're going to have joy. But that's not what the Bible is teaching. The Bible is saying that even right now in this mess, in these trials, in this suffering, you can have joy. Look at this. Look at verse. Look at verses 8 and 9. Look at it. And though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. The churches that Peter is writing to have not seen Jesus like he has, yet they love him. And not only do they love him without sight, but they believe without sight. In addition, it says they are overflowing with joy inexpressible. Their love, their faith, and their joy are locked in on Jesus right now as they wait to be with him forever and the salvation of their souls. And here's the best part. I want to make sure you hear me. The trials have burned away lesser worldly loves and have narrowed their love exclusively on Jesus. The trials have burned away lesser worldly objects of faith and have narrowed their faith exclusively on Jesus. The trials have burned away lesser worldly joys and have narrowed their love exclusively and their joy and their faith on Jesus. Suffering does not have to shut you down. Suffering does not have to leave you numb. Suffering does not have to make you check out of life, but suffering can actually fuel your faith. Trials can fuel your joy and pain can fuel your love for Jesus. It doesn't have to shut you down that can draw you closer to the Lord. Because trials and pain tends to just narrow your focus on Christ and Christ alone. So that's the living hope. That's the purposeful trials. But one of the things you may have not thought of before is this concept of a privileged experience. Peter's not done. He's still in his real long sentence. Look at verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you Make careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. You live in a special time in history. 
I know everyone likes to think they live at a special time in history compared to those in the past, but you really do live at a special time in history along with every generation who has lived after the cross and resurrection of Jesus. The salvation that you are experiencing in Christ was prophesied in the past. And the prophets, according to this passage, desperately wanted to know the person and the time of the Messiah. You see, the Spirit of Christ was making these prophecies through them, and they really wanted us to know the details of their own prophecy. Can you imagine prophesying something and just want to ask God a question? What are the details of that? Tell me the person or the time. But the reality is it wasn't ultimately about the prophets, but it was about you and your privileged experience. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Their prophecies were not serving themselves, but you. They predicted the sufferings of Christ and his exaltation, but you get to experience it. Think about it. This is your experience. The gospel was preached to you of Christ's perfect life, death, and glorious resurrection. You heard the message. The Holy Spirit stirred you up to believe. And all along, the angels are astounded by the prophecies about your final experience. And this is your privileged experience that you get to experience in this generation. It's a big deal. Jesus put it like this. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 16 and 17, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And this privileged experience in history should astound us. We have a unique experience in salvation history that is privileged. It reminds me of the time back in 2015. My wife and I went to the U.S. Open tennis tournament in New York. We only went for the day, got on a plane in Chicago early in the morning, flew to New York, saw the tournament, flew back that night. But while we were there, we somehow got access to the Chase Lounge. That, that would be the, like the Chase Bank. They have this special lounge there. And we were able to go inside this lounge. And in there was air conditioning, because it was really hot out, free food, free drinks. They were giving some stuff away. We got to see, sit on these nice couches. And in this Chase Lounge, it has huge windows that are surrounding it. So everybody on the outside can look in at all of us who are privileged on the inside. And as I was sitting there watching all the monitors and people were peeking in, they're wondering what is going on in there while all along I get to experience it. That's the prophets. They're peeking in. What is going on? I'm making these prophecies, but tell me the specifics about the person and time while we get to live the privileged experience. We know Jesus. We know his life, death, and resurrection. We have the privileged experience. 
And the reason why Peter's bringing this up, he's saying, you're undergoing trials. I know that. They're various. But you have living hope because you have an inheritance. He says, not only do you have living hope, but I'm going to give you some perspective on your trials. They're purposeful. They're keeping you persevering in your faith. And lastly, look at your experience. You have this privilege right now of knowing Christ. Historically, the prophets, they would love to be where you're at. And you put this all together, it gives you perspective when you're suffering and have trials and pain in your life right now. I've been here at this church for a little over a year. And over the last year, people have asked me how my family is adjusting and, and how we like it here in Arkansas. And as in most places, there are some great things, there are some not so great things, and there's everything else in between. And I'm also asked from time to time, what's been the most surprising and unexpected aspect of being here at this church, Village Bible Church? And there's a lot of answers that I could give to that question, but there's one answer that I get to witness every single week, and I didn't expect it. Every single week, I see a certain combination going on at this church. Let me share this combination with you. It's a combination of suffering and hope, a combination of grief and joy, a combination of pain and love, and a combination of sorrows and faith. Let me explain this to you, okay? Almost on a daily basis, I get prayer requests. And it's usually talking about someone's physical state. They're about to have surgery. They're about to figure out a diagnosis. There's an unexpected hospitalization. There's a variety of cancers and other life-threatening diseases. And, and there's a, a significant amount of physical pain and suffering in our midst. We, we all know that. But what you may not know, and I'm sure you do, but maybe it doesn't come to you as much, is there is a lot of pain that does not make the prayer list. There's a significant amount of loneliness floating around. Depression, destructive addictions, relational turmoil, and emotional distress. And these soul afflictions are just as real as the physical afflictions. And so I know that when I walk in here on Sunday morning or walk into my office, I know I'm going to be hit with a significant amount of pain. It's just the reality. That's, it really surprised me. I, I, I expected the physical aspect, but not so much of the other. But it's a significant amount of pain and suffering. But this is what also surprised me. Is there's so much hope and joy and faith is the weirdest combination. It almost seems like as the pressure and the pain mounts and intensifies, the hope intensifies, the faith intensifies, the love for Jesus intensifies. It's amazing that you're still growing. And in fact, it seems as if your suffering is fueling your growth. And I get to witness you every single week you tell me the pain is so much worse this week, and yet you follow that up by hope and faith and greater love for Jesus. It's an amazing combination. I don't know how to explain it, but I see it. And listen to this. I need it. I need it. I need to see it in you. Because I shared with you a situation with one of my kids a few weeks back. 
and you come up to me and you ask me, how are you doing? And my answer is, not good at all. It's true. Not good at all. But as I interact with you and I see what you're going through, I've been encouraged. Because some of the stuff you tell me is horrendous. And yet, you have joy. You have growing and intensifying faith. And what I'm seeing is that is spurring me on. That even in some stuff I can't understand why it's happening, I can't explain it, I'm finding myself once again in this passage. Once again finding that as the pain intensifies, there is an intensification of faith. I find something welling up within me of joy that I didn't know where that came from. And I want this reality to be the reality for all of us. That as trials come, may your faith intensify. May your hope intensify. And may your love for Jesus intensify. Until one day, you're home, you receive your inheritance face-to-face with Jesus forever. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.